0: Hello and welcome to the Business Lines podcast. I am Nivedita Rajan. The U.S.-India relationship has grown steadily over the years. The U.S.-India 2 plus 2 ministerial meet is a sign of the increasing engagement between the two sides. In this podcast, Dr. Uthra Choudhury, the director of Carnegie India, joins us to help us understand the dynamics of this relationship. Dr. Chaudhary, welcome to the podcast. How much has the 2 plus 2 meet, which started in 2018, matured over the years? So, you know, Nimeneta, I think
1: um, you have to go further back than 2018. It's worth keeping in mind that the 2 plus 2 dialogue and the recent initiatives are in many ways the logical but sometimes delayed processes that began as early as the turn of the 21st century. It was in 2005 that India and the U.S. entered into what's known as the next steps in strategic partnership. And it is that set of initiatives that provided a jumpstart to the relationship in a meaningful and material way. It led to the signing of the U.S.-India nuclear deal in 2008, um, and thereon it led to the intensifying defense relationship. So I think in terms of framing the 2 plus 2, it's important to keep those antecedents in mind but since 2018 we've come a very long way it's worth keeping also in mind that defense sales between the two countries was close to zero in 2008 it's about touching about 2 billion dollars sorry 20 billion dollars today and the hallmark of this particular 2 plus 2 will be the completion of the fourth foundational agreement which are actually instrumental in operationalizing the us india defense relationship on the ground or on
0: on the sea. We are going to sign the Basic Exchange and Cooperation Agreement uh, today or tomorrow, I think. So it will help India use American expertise on geos- uh, geospatial intelligence. How exactly will India benefit from such uh, initiatives?
1: No, so it allows, I mean, from what I understand, at least from the outside of this particular agreement. Is that it provides India access to geospatial mapping and I guessing um, cartographic information and that will only help India when it comes to accuracy of its missile systems etc. Now as I said this is the logical kind of follow-up to the three agreements that have been signed in the past, the first in 2002 and then the other two. Each of these allow for greater interoperability between Indian and U.S. defense platforms, and I think you have to see it in its entirety that all these agreements are about allowing Indian and U.S. defense platforms, whether it's on the sea or in land or perhaps down the line in the terrain of unmanned vehicles, allowing both systems to actually come together, allowing both countries to have the kind of confidence uh, to be able to invest in each other's defense futures And these are the kind of roadmap agreements that allow exactly that.
0: What exactly can these talks mean for the Indo-US relationship going forward?
1: I mean, I think it's a pretty clear uh, indication of the fact that this is a strategic relationship that is today at its highest point ever in history. And that has a lot to do with the fact that various governments in the past have invested in this history, but in the present day, for a variety of reasons, I say primarily geopolitical, um, that you know we are we, we now witness to a fairly strong US-India security relationship. I mean, the relationship could be stronger in the trade area, for sure. There are disagreements over there. But as far as security and defense is concerned, I think you're really kind of reaching that kind of apex point. It took, a, it took some time to get here. This is not to say that year in or year out, the relationship, the defense relationship became stronger. There was a gap of about a good 10 years from when a lot of these agreements started and where we are today. But that's another matter altogether. Fact is, we are here. Um, The relationship on the defense and security side is, is strong. It will get stronger. It will get stronger no matter, I think, who wins in November of this year in the United States.
0: But then there are some points of conflict, like, say, Afghanistan or Iran. It's not like India and US totally come together on various issues.
1: No two partners ever come together. you know. No two friends ever come together on all issues. Um, and the same is the same is true for the India-US relationship as it is with India and Russia um, or India's relationship with the EU. Um, there will be disagreements on Iran. There is no doubt about the fact that the Trump administration's tied-in position with regards to Iran has hurt India's economic interests. India's had to pivot away from crude oil that had, has imported from Iran. Um, it has also meant that India has had to invest a lot of deft diplomacy in getting around the sanctions against Russia. It's worth keeping in mind that India still buys a huge amount of defense equipment from Russia. If you remember, after the standoff in the Galwan Valley, which led to the tragic death of Indian soldiers, India went to Russia. So that is still a very important country. And I think one of the hallmarks of Indian diplomacy in the present day and in the past, Um, but what we're seeing in the present day, is the ability to be able to negotiate these various cracks in current geopolitics. And I think in that sense, India has been quite successful in being able to deal with the Trump administration, and in a sense, decode the Trump administration. As uh, you notice, uh, yesterday or day before, I forget when, the there was an announcement made from the U.S. State Department that essentially the sanctions on Iran would provide some sort of an exemption on Chabahar, where obviously India has invested. So obviously, Indian There's a lot behind the scenes, and there are many different ways in which India has been able to pivot. Overall, of course, it is tough. The Trump administration has a particular view on Russia Iran. These are stickling points, but I don't think they get in the way of the larger and growing bilateral relationship.
0: What about Afghanistan? India has a good relationship with the present government now, which is backed by the U.S., but it might change drastically with whatever that might come about from the peace deal.
1: But that I think has, I mean, in a sense, I'm not sure that is crucially a US-India question, right? That's a question about India's future in Afghanistan.
0: If the US wants Indian troops in Afghanistan, it becomes an India-US question also then.
1: No, but the US has wanted Indian troops in Afghanistan in different points of time um, for, for some time now. But it doesn't mean that India would send troops. It's worth keeping in mind, by the way, that in the very beginning, in 2001, It was the United States that kept India out of most of the maneuverings inside of Afghanistan. In fact, it was on this explicit um, directions of the the then Bush administration that India had to work very carefully on the margins and develop its own one-on-one relationship with the Afghan government. You have to establish embassies and diplomatic presence for the first time since 1994 when India was ejected. So I think India, to be honest, and to answer your question, I don't think it's that dependent on the US. Obviously, what the US does as far as the withdrawal is concerned. If you have a massive withdrawal of troops by the Christmas of 2020, which is what President Trump has tweeted, that will put Afghanistan in jeopardy. It will put the security of the current government in jeopardy. Um, but I don't necessarily think that it's a sticking point between the two. In fact, the special envoy in the United States, Khalil Zar, has made it a point to visit India almost after any big meeting that has taken place whether it's the intra-Afghan dialogue or whether it's the 29th February agreement between the US and the Taliban, I think Khalil Saad has kept India in the loop. I think India is pretty much involved now in the many different changes that are taking place inside of Afghanistan. I wish India could do more. Um, I've been a big advocate of India appointing a special envoy to Afghanistan to, be, to keep a pace with the fast-moving changes. But that apart, I don't necessarily think that this is a stickling point between the US and India.
0: Okay, coming back to the 2 plus 2 meet, the meet is about the Indo-Pacific region and about India's neighborhood. Uh, So that brings us two obvious questions. The first one is around China. The Deputy Secretary of State, when he came to India last week, he was very clear when he said, China is the elephant in the room. How big of an elephant is China right now?
1: So I don't think that China is the elephant in the room anymore. Um, you know the metaphor just doesn't work anymore. China is squarely in the center of a lot of the agenda setting. Um, that was true in the Quad meeting in Tokyo recently. It is. It will be as true tomorrow in the two plus two dialogues. The key question is: the U.S. obviously has a particular view on China. India, um, not only for geopolitical and economic reasons that predate the Galwan Valley incident, but especially post Galwan or post June of 2020, has it has a view on China today that aligns. Um, somewhat with the US perspective, Um, but having said that, I still do feel that the government over here, this is just my reading from the outside, will be still cautious of some kind of an alliance, which is clearly what the Trump administration is hoping for, to turn the Quad into some kind of a NATO-like alliance. Um, Pompeo made a very big push in Tokyo, I'm quite sure that India will make an equally strong push here, but I don't think there that India will necessarily bite. I think the lot has been done on the Quad, the fact that Australia today is back in Malabar after more than sort of 10 years, I think is an indication that India is open to working with open democracies and like-minded countries. But I don't, think it is, I don't think it is in the interest of India to view the Quad as an alliance as such. And there is a difference here between alliance, partnership and alignments. These are not just rhetorical terms.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the Quad, you mentioned Australia participating in Malabar, and now we have the US-India defense agreement, which was in talks for a long time. Is this like a concentrated effort by India to build an anti-China alliance? Can we look at it that way? Not necessarily.
1: I mean, look, these are, in many ways, these are the logical next steps for a country like India um, in building its relationship with a large superpower like the United States. And as I said, that's why the antecedent is worth keeping in mind. do keep in mind that a lot of these defense talks started as far back as 2004 and 2005 at the same time when the Sino-Indian relationship was at a very different geopolitical place. Right? So one, I think there are two key points over here. One, you have to abstract the China factor from the growing US-India defense partnership but number two and post-2020 when the effects of these current shifting geopolitics became very real to most people. And when I think India and the Indian government realized very clearly that it needs to reduce its dependence on China, especially its economic uh, dependence, coupled with the strategic fallout of the incidents in June this year, I think that has pushed that has certainly given a particular push to the government over here to further strengthen the relationship with the United States. And I think These two points have to be kept in mind um, in isolation, in a sense, right? So one builds on the other. It is not primarily because of the current situation with China that India is investing in this relationship. This relationship has a history that goes back about 15 years on the defense side.
0: If India is getting closer to the US, uh, what happens to our relationship with Russia?
1: So I think that's a good question. I'm not someone who follows Russia very carefully. So from the outside, my own view is that um, there's a lot more that India can do with Russia. Um, But it is a critical relationship as far as India is concerned. It's critical in the UN. Um, It's critical on a whole range of other issues where India and Russia don't really have a fight on the international stage. Um, It's a relationship that obviously has a very deep lineage that goes back to the 1960s. 1966 is when I place the India-Russia relationship at its kind of milestone point, that is following the 1965 war when Prime Minister Lal Badu Shastri met with Ayub Khan in Tashkent. Um, But I do think that a certain dynamism has to be returned to that relationship to balance the geopolitical scales um, that at the moment seem to be tilting somewhat uh, towards the Indo-Pacific
0: and westward. When we're speaking of Russia, there's an interesting dynamic. Russia and China are increasingly having a good relationship. Well, India has always had a good relationship with Russia, but relationship with China is deteriorating. How do you look at it?
1: So it's not necessarily a triangular relationship. So, you know, it's, the scales are not balanced in that particular way. But I do think that um, we in India have to keep a very careful eye and act on the fact that today, both Chinese and Russian analysts talk of each other as allies. That The relationship has grown a lot stronger. It's not just grown stronger in the present domain, it has been growing stronger in since every... essentially in every way, but since various administrations in the West have also put the squeeze on Russia, um, you know, which goes back as early as 2008, 2009, mm. um, Some of this had to do with the after effects of the um, civil war in Syria where both sides kind of drew a line. But it has kind of pushed Russia closer to China and vice versa. And I think that is something that in India we need to consider very carefully. On the other hand, Russia also provides a good platform. It's a good friend. It's an old friend. It provides a good platform um, for discussions, for discussions with China, for instance. If you again
0: note, even
1: after the Galwan... Well, one is SEO, but after Galwan, you know, the Indian External Affairs Minister still attended a meeting of the RIC, the Russia-India-China yeah. platform. So there are advantages to leveraging old friendships, especially when it now comes to recalculating the way in which India deals with a with essentially with China. Hmm.
0: Uh, there was this opinion piece in the Global Times, which I read. The Global Times is the Chinese tabloid it said that even though India and US's relationship is now quite, uh, uh, even though there's a friendship and cooperation, it is still unbalanced. And if India goes too much with the US, it loses its strategic autonomy. Do you agree with those statements?
1: Look, I think, you know, I'm no sinologist, but I my understanding is A, that the global time is obviously an important piece for everybody to read, especially in the English language. It reflects the party's position inside of China. But there are the Chinese view on these issues are quite diversified. Um, the overall view in China has been is that you know that it is a problem for them if India moves much closer to the United States either by way of the Indo-Pacific or the Quad. Um, I mean, I remember a time not not uh, you know in the in the near in the recent past where there were you know when, whenever this question of the Quad or Indo-Pacific came up, Indian representatives kind of push themselves to provide an explanation to China as to why it's moving towards the Indo-Pacific, but at the same time making clear that this was not some kind of a anti-Chinese alignment. I think clearly that has changed. Today, we are in a path of rediscovering a new modus vivendi with China. It is unclear, I think, to most people what that actually means. But I think that is certainly the shift in the direction that the government in India will take, and rightly so, is there were a whole set of agreements signed between 1988 And 2013, between India and China, they provided some amount of stability. There are many who argue that those agreements were a waste of time. I completely disagree with that. I think it gave us time, in fact, to get to a particular place. But now there is a need, very clearly, to come to a very different definition of that
0: relationship. The same opinion piece also said, which I think is quite correct, that India's power is rising while the US's power is waning. And it goes on to say that uh, India will use the US for its strategic use, but will not join the US camp. Do you agree with the statement again?
1: I don't think it's a question of agreement or disagreement. I mean, I think that's just a very bold and very blunt opinion piece in the global times. And, you know, my own sense is that you shouldn't read too much into these opinion pieces. There are thousands of these kind of pieces coming out of China and elsewhere. The key question to ask is what is the kind of relationship that the U.S. and India would like to foster? And I think so far it is very clear that while India develops a deeper relationship with the United States, at least in the defense and the security realm, it will still look to protect its own strategic autonomy. And that's when the question question of Iran and Russia, et cetera, that you asked a bit earlier comes into play. That protecting that strategic autonomy is absolutely essential because it is by way of creating some kind of a boundaries for India's autonomous actions that it can then continue to deepen the relationship with the US, keep a somewhat a free hand as far as possible with Iran and keep investing in a relationship with Russia. If you think about it, you know, India's a unique country. It is a country that has fairly strong relations with Iran or at least recently it had very strong relations with Iran. At the same time, it has something of a, fairly deep relationship with Israel today. It is. It has a old friendship with Russia and a deepening one with the United States. Think of any other middle-sized and growing economy or country in the world that is able to be this dexterous when it comes to foreign policy.
0: Are we giving too much of importance to China right now because of the events from June?
1: Absolutely and- not. In fact, I think we should be giving more importance to China. It's not just in the events of June. I think there's a, I think there was a, there's a basic sense over here that we needed to decouple ourselves from China to a certain extent. It's worth keeping in mind that the first set of notes that came out of the government of India on economic delinking from China were actually published in April, well before the incidents in Galwan. So Galwan is not the framing criteria over here. It the framing criteria over here is changing geopolitics and then Galwan adds a certain injection to that entire process. I don't think it's a question of not giving enough attention to China. I think the key question now is twofold. Number one, and this is a more of a policy perspective, is that we need to figure out what you want to do with China. How do you actually design a this modus vivendi that you want to create into the future? Second is more academic, which is equally important, is we need to do more to better understand China. If you realize most of our most of the good commentary and works on China is published outside of India. Why should that be the case? India shares a 3,488 kilometer long border with China. So I think both have to go hand in hand. And hopefully that will be the path that will eventually be able to define a more manageable relationship with China. Because here, you know, unlike the last 30 years, it's not about peace and tranquility right now. It is simply about managing China, managing Chinese aggression across the board and managing A pretty large and important economic neighbor. And how you manage that will kind of, I think, depend on the modus vivendi that is necessary today.
0: Okay, so what do you suggest? How should India manage China, contain China, if you may?
1: You know, A, I don't have a, as I said, I'm not a sinologist. There are many good people in India who kind of working on these problem statements. Um, but you know, two points, right? One is I, I'd be careful of using terms like containment. Containment is a it's a very expensive strategy. If you think about the kind of containment that the United States put in place in the 1950s, right? So, and through the 1960s and 70s, it was a hugely expensive proposition. The kind of investments that you need to make by way of alignments, alliances, economic agreements, defense ties, mutual defense pacts, etc. Um, it's a very different script to what I think India should be thinking. I really don't think we should be thinking down the containment route at all. So in how fact, do we, we live with China? It.
0: How do we live with China then? How do we live with China's aggression? Well,
1: you are living with China. You've lived with China now for a very long time, hmm. right? Now clearly there is a change in the Chinese calculus as far as the LSE is concerned. So number one, you're going to have to figure out what the what the border relationship is likely to be. And that will require patience, it will require hard work, a lot of diplomacy. And clearly, we cannot continue with this argument that exists at the moment that the LSE, as far as the Chinese are concerned, that, you know, that it is okay not to define the LSE. Clearly, that's not working out for both these countries. Um, and that was the basis on which the 2005 Political Parameters Agreement was signed between the two countries was to move beyond the border Look at larger issues, invest in economic trade, and a lot of that happened, right? And it's worth yeah. keeping in mind till January of 2020 or certainly so till the end of 2019. There were many in India that were still trumpeting or at least egging on and saying is that you know India shares a pretty manageable relationship with China. Number two, an economic dependence, I think that has to reduce, and that is something that I think this government is very focused on. Uh, the key question is how do you do it? You're not a rich country. You're a country that is also reeling really too economic wax at the same time. One was a long-term slowdown in the Indian economy. Two was the post-pandemic, the pandemic hit economy. And I think two of those have come together. So fact is that we need to dealing from the Chinese geoeconomic positions, but at the same time, we need to figure out how we're going to do that, given that we are a country that is going to need a lot of investments in the next few years to be able to recover, to invest in resilience into the future.
0: My next question is about Pakistan. Uh, U.S. has had lots of influence in Pakistan, but now it's kind of waning because, you know, even uh, Nikki Haley recently said that uh, the Trump administration has been curtailing finances to Pakistan. Will the 2 plus 2 meet even talk about Pakistan? Or is it just to China-centered this time around? I, I
1: don't know. I have no idea um, if they will talk about Pakistan. But if they do, I mean, I could only imagine that they are, the Indian side would... Like to remind the Americans that the, the, the key problem with Pakistan is the continuing investment and rise in terrorism. Hmm. And I think it is only in our interest that the United States puts its back into multilateral forums such as the FATF. Um, Pakistan has been recently kind of replaced on the, the realist, yeah. And that, that is our hope that the US puts pressure on these multilateral frameworks through which verifications are done on Pakistan in itself. In in the hope that down the line it can at least curb or begin to limit Pakistan's large-scale investment in terrorism.
0: But then that will drive Pakistan drive right to the hands of China, which we don't want Pakistan's again.
1: Pakistan's already, you know, Nivedita, Your key question is, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that Pakistan's already in the hands of China.
0: Like more right. so, that, more so into the hands of China. No, not necessarily more so.
1: You know, that's a relationship that can be, you know, dated back to the 2nd of March. 1963.
0: Mm. That was
1: the date on which the Ch- China and Pakistan signed their first and only land boundary agreement in Pakistan-occupied Kashmir that was protested by the Indian side. But that agreement invested in was a milestone agreement. It yeah. essentially defined the Sino-Pakistani relationship. Mm. Now that relationship has evolved in many different ways. The latest avatar is the China-Pakistan economic corridor and the extension of the BRI into Pakistan. But that's a relationship that has had its own strength. For a very long time. So to think that, you know, pushing them on FATF, etc, will simply push them into the Chinese quarter, I think is the wrong way of looking at this. They're already in the Chinese quarter. And this is not to say that it's an open ended um, relationship where all is well. China has its own problems with Pakistan. Pakistan has its own problems with China. It's very clear that are local protests with regards to Chinese investments, there are. So, you know, it's just worth keeping those dynamics in mind as well.
0: Trump recently in the debate said India's air is filthy, and Biden said that's not the way you talk to friends. But then one would argue that Trump has been the most friendliest president for India. Would you agree with that statement?
1: I mean, not necessarily, I mean, in that sense, I I can think of other US presidents who quote unquote have been friendlier or friendlier to India. I mean, the one US president that really turned this relationship around was uh, was George W. Bush in the early part of the 21st century. And I think it's important keeping in fact that if under the Bush administration, as I go back to the point I made in the introduction, that both sides had not invested in processes such as the next step in strategic partnership and fought the hard hard battle, if not war, to conclude the US-India nuclear deal, we would not be able to capitalize on the momentum that we see today. That's just a fact. So for me, a president in the United States who was... Friendly or who was well disposed towards India, struck up a very strong relationship with Manmohan Singh. And that's it, worth keeping in mind. I mean, these were people from two polar opposites. Um, you know, Manmohan Singh, an Oxford-trained economist, George Bush, you know, based, um, a somewhat brash um, youngster who kind of grew into politics um, in itself as a very different vision of the world. But they actually came together when it came to this particular relationship. Um, so I don't think that it is Trump that's going the friendliest. I think Trump has taken this relationship in particular direction. He has, and his administration under Mark Esper has invested on the defense side, and that has paid off. But I think the click, if you like, the delta, was in the early part of the 21st century.
0: Thank you for being in our podcast today.
1: Thanks a lot, Devita.
0: That was Dr. Rudra Choudhury, the director of Carnegie India. We spoke about the indo us relationship and the 2 plus 2 ministerial dialogue. For all the latest news and updates, log on to the hindubusinessline.com